so I want to talk today about judgment. I want to talk about judgment because judgment is connected to what happens when you die. Most of us, uh, in our minds, we think, well, when maybe you think that when you die, you go to heaven. Have you heard that before? You've heard that, okay, soon as I die, I go to heaven or I go to hell. I've heard some people that say, I'm going to hell no matter what, so I'm just going to live my life like I want to live it. And that's, not, that's not a good thing. Okay, guys. It's not a good thing to do when you just think, I'm just going to go to hell. Do you, do, I, do you know what I realize? That salvation is Jesus' decision. That Jesus decided to save us before we decided to be saved. The, the cross of Calvary is proof that Jesus decided to save us and that he made the way and the, and the preparations for us to enjoy salvation. All it really comes down to is relationship. And judgment is a part of that relationship because in order for us to experience the life to come, we have to be in a relationship with Jesus. Eternal life is what Jesus offers. Life without end, a life without trouble and struggle, the life that he intended for us to live. That's the life he wants to give us. And we can't experience this that life yet because we are broken. We're in a broken world. We're in a broken place. Anytime a person walks into a church and shoots and kills 26 or 27 people, something is wrong with this world. And we live in a world that is broken and in desperate need of redemption. So the decision for salvation is up to God. He decided it. What we have to do is, re is accept that gift and be in relationship with him. And so judgment is very important in understanding what happens when we die. Because think about it this way. If judgment happens immediately after we die, then that means there are people who are in heaven or who are in hell. But the Bible does not teach that hell is a place. The Bible teaches that hell is a moment. It is an event. And we're going to look at it, that text in just a second. But I want you to understand something, that judgment comes from Christ. It's really a fixed judgment. Think about it this way. Imagine... If you got brought up on some charges, anybody else has some charges back in the day, don't raise your hand. You don't have to tell anybody who you are. Imagine getting in trouble and you have a court-appointed lawyer and the lawyer's like, don't even worry about it. You're good. And then the lawyer stands up and he starts pleading your case and there's no judge sitting up there in the booth. He just starts talking talking about your case, and then 
he gets up from around where you are and says, I want to say that my client is not guilty. And then he takes off his tie, walks around to where the judge is, puts on the judge robe and sits down and says, all right, not guilty. Bam. That's a fixed, that's a fixed judgment. Really what judgment is, it's an investigation. It's a decision to say, is this person right with me or not? Now, some of you, if you've been to school, you know, for me, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a calm person. Uh, not too many things rattle me. Um, I don't know why that is. I'm just kind of cool under pressure. That's kind, of, that's kind of my personality. I've learned that about myself. I'm kind of just cool under pressure. I don't know if I just grew up in a violent neighborhood. I don't know what it is. Very few things make me physically nervous, like visibly nervous either. I'm kind of cool under pressure. I could be in a place and somebody says, could you stand up and do this? And I wouldn't, I wouldn't even flinch. I wouldn't really feel nervous about it. But there's one thing that always made me nervous, made me sweat, my shirt soaking wet. And that was a final exam. Now, if you've never been through that, I need to break that down. Because, see, sometimes, you know, there's some people that used to get on my nerves in college or in high school, whatever level of education I was in. And they would always say with this whiny voice, what did you get? But you can't stand people like that. What did you get on the test? Just tell me that you got an A, okay? Just, can you just get it out the way? Just me bragging about your grade. But, see, tests used to make me nervous, uh, not just simply because I was taking a test, but because of what the success of the test meant to my grade. Now, I'm only going to talk to a few people about this. See, there were some classes where if I didn't pass the test, I wasn't going to pass the class. Can I just be straight up with you? That everything I was doing was riding on the test. If I didn't nail this test, I was going to be in trouble. And I used to get really upset, and there wasn't no reason to get upset. But sometimes in classes, the teacher after for the final test would say, hey, if you got a certain grade in the class already and you got a certain grade on the midterm, you don't have to take this test. And that used to make me mad. I used to want to trip them, flick a pencil, something like that, staple, something. Just, just something rose up in me, and I used to feel upset when they would just get up and walk out with their little attitude. At least that's the way I saw it that, until that happened to me, and I actually got to do that, and I had a major attitude, so I completely understand why they, why they act that way. But see, sometimes if you're doing well in the class, you don't worry about the test, right? Because your, your grade is not dependent so much on the test. So sometimes if you're not doing well in the class, you need to do well on this test. And, and that's the thing that would make me nervous. I get nervous about taking the test. I'd be scared. I'd be worried, trying to hope that I remembered everything that I learned. Here's what I've understood about salvation and about judgment that the enemy has been very successful in in lying to us. That salvation, that judgment is based on what we do. We like to keep score. Well, I went to church every week and I read my Bible 
and I didn't do this, and I didn't do that. You know, deep down, I'm a good person. I, I, I try to do what's right. And there's a different grade or a different way that God is measuring your relationship with Jesus. It's not about what you do, about what you believe, about what you think, about what you know, about what you don't do. Just because you're a member of a church does not mean that you're going to see heaven. There's something deeper here. I want to take us to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. And I'd encourage you, if you have a phone or you take notes, this would be a great text to write down. Try to slow it down just a little bit to help those who are hearing this in their native tongue. Matthew 25, verse 31. This is Jesus himself talking about judgment. Here's what he says. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. I like the way Jesus is talking. Jesus is talking about himself. What had happened is that people were challenging him and challenging who he was. And Jesus says, I'm just going to make this as clear and as clean as possible. So he says, when the Son of Man, talking about himself in the third person. Verse 32. All the nations will be gathered in his presence. And he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left hand. Jesus is giving a picture of what judgment, the final judgment, will be like. That everyone in some way will be in his presence and he's going, he's giving us just a picture of what he's talking about. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, who's on the right? The sheep. Who's on the left? Okay, does a sheep look different than a goat? It look different. Jesus says on my right, this is what I'm speaking to. He says, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit, that's a big word, the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Can I just stop there for a second? You don't have to work for an inheritance. You work because you have an inheritance. When you go to Baskin Robbins and it closes at 10 and you get there at 9.55, come on, somebody, I know, I know you do that. I do the same thing. I say, I got five minutes. And you get there and it's 9.55 on Apple, on your Apple, like your phone, which means that's the time it really is. And you show up and somebody's shutting it down and turning off the lights and locking the door. You know they're a what? They're an employee. Right? Let's just be honest. They're an hourly worker. If somebody owns the place, do you think they shut the door? No, they don't. Because a person who has an inheritance and look, look, listen to this, has buy-in, takes ownership of it, they do more and go above and beyond than a person who just works there. 
A person who has an inheritance coming is a part of the family and they do what the family has taught them to do because they're a part of the business. So Jesus says, first of all, you got to understand, this is an inheritance. So he says, you're blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Jesus has been waiting to give this thing to his people. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones, the ones on the right, the sheep say, wait a minute. The righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink. Or a stranger and showed you hospitality. Or naked and give you clothing. When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to the least of these of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it unto me. Listen to the description of the first group. Jesus is saying, you were ministering to me. And you didn't even know it. You were blessing me and you weren't even doing it on purpose. You were doing ministry and didn't recognize that you were doing it to me. He says the fruit of your heart, the, the service that you gave from the overflow of your experience blessed people. And those are the people I associated with. And guess what? You were doing things for me and you didn't even know it. They're like, Jesus, we didn't even know that you did this. That's why, <clears throat> excuse me, you can't measure your spirituality and your walk with God by what you do. If you have a checklist and say, oh, guess what? I guess I got to go to church, and I guess I got to give my offering, and I guess I got to do this. I got, some, I got some news for you. Let's keep going, because this is what happened to another group of people. And the king will say, verse 41, then the king will turn those on the left and say, oh, wait, I missed something here. Oh, yeah, here we go. Where are we at? What happened? I missed my verse. I'm at 41? Okay, yeah. Verse 41. Thank you. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away from you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. Can I just say this real quick? That hell was not meant for you? That Jesus created hell and that experience for the devil and his angels, not for you. You just there, you would be there, and I, I don't profess that any of you would be there, but you would be there because you attached yourself to the wrong group. That you showed your uh, dedication to Satan, and you ended up where ultimately he led you, and that would be death. But here's what he says. For I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. I was naked, you didn't give me clothing. I was sick. And in prison, and you didn't visit me. Listen to their reply. They will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry, thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, and did not help you? Now, look, their, their, their thing is saying, now, wait a minute. If we would have saw it, we would have done it. They're saying, we didn't recognize you either. But he will answer, I will tell you the truth. When you refused. To help the least of my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And you will go away with the internal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. 
Here's the difference between these two groups of people. Can I give it to you in one word? It's relationship. It's relationship. One group, they were doing it, and they didn't even realize it, but they were blessing Jesus. Jesus was saying, you helped me. There's another group that was doing stuff, but they were missing the mark, and they weren't, they were refusing to help Jesus when he needed help, and they didn't recognize him. It's all about relationship. Here's what's, here's what's, what else is deep about this. Let me bring it here. Your perspective of the relationship will determine your experience in the relationship. Your perspective of the relationship will determine your experience in the relationship. See, he was basically saying, here was the problem. You didn't recognize me for those who got sent on the, on the left. You didn't recognize me, and you weren't doing what was best for me. You were doing what was best for you. If you're in a relationship, when you are doing what is best for you, that relationship is not going to go in the best way you think it should go. It's not a healthy relationship because a healthy relationship is about doing what's best for the next person. It's about doing what's best for them. And so your perspective of the relationship will determine your experience. If you say to yourself, I'm going to get in this relationship based on what they can do for me, that will change the perspective of that person. Because as soon as that person does not do what you want them to do for you, you will throw them away. And if you get into a relationship where it's one-sided on either way, whether you're expecting them to do everything for you or you're expecting to do everything for them with nothing in return, you're in a broken relationship. The right paradigm of a relationship says, I'm going to do what is best for the person I love. And your perspective of that relationship will determine your experience. If you see God as the person who's supposed to do everything for you, Will God answer my prayer? Will God do this for me? Will God show up on this? Then guess what happens? When God doesn't do what we want him to do, we get mad. Well, why'd you do that? Why'd you, why'd you let this happen? And there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be hurt and discomforted and surprised because they thought that the relationship with God was solid, but the reality it wasn't because it, wasn't one, it was one-sided and not two-sided. Relationship, when you're committed to someone, you're committed to making their life better. I hope that you're in a career and you're working in that career, whether you own the business or you're not, and you're saying to yourself, I'm here in this, in this job because I'm making the company better. If you're there just to take a paycheck, if you're there just to advance, if you're there just to do your thing, it's a one-sided relationship. If you're in a marriage relationship and you're just saying, I just want to be there because this person's going to take care of me and this person's going to wash my drawers or whatever and this person's going to just pay the bills, then that's a one-sided relationship. If you're having kids just because you just want to have kids and you're not really interested in if they can read or not, you don't really care what's going on in their life or who they're dating or what's going on in their you just want to get them out of the house as fast as you can, let me tell you something. You are missing something beautiful. Beautiful because a relationship is two-sided. And what Jesus is saying, I want you to have a relationship with me. I don't want 
a one-sided relationship. I don't want you thinking you need to do everything for me. And I don't want you to be thinking I need to do everything for you. Really, when it comes to God, it really is kind of a one-sided situation. I mean, a lot of ways, we really can't repay God. We really can't give him what he deserves. But all he wants is to be in relationship with us. This is very, very important because some people go back and forth with not really understanding if they're saved or they're lost. They're back and forth with not really having a peace of mind of knowing, am I doing the right thing? Am I pleasing God? And we go back and forth from moment to moment because we know there are things in our life that we know we're not doing right. But then sometimes in our heart, we feel like we love God, but then we're not doing what God wants us to do. And it's a constant back and forth. It's a constant making up and breaking up. It's a constant doing good this day and then doing bad this, this day. And nobody wants to be in a relationship like that. And God is saying, you're missing something that I want to give you. Let me take you to Romans chapter 8. This is great. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 10. I'm going to find it. On mine. I'm going to look it up this way. Romans chapter 8, 5 through 10. Look what the Bible says. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that pleases the Spirit. So letting your, look at this, your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Salvation is worked out. Jesus has worked it out. He's saying, I want to offer you salvation. I want to offer you a life with me. So I'm gifting you the Holy Spirit to help you walk the life that you need to walk in order to have the inheritance. I'm sending you a personal consultant, a coach, someone to come alongside of you and tell you, don't do that. No, this is the time. Move right now. You need to apologize. You need to, you need to take that off. That don't look right on you at all. You're not going to get the job coming in here with that. Fix your attitude. That's what the spirit does inside of us. But look what he says. Your sinful nature, that's your default. That's, that's what you don't have to work hard to have. Your, your sinful nature is there. And that's why the Bible talks about practicing sin. Because what happens is your natural body, your natural default is very good at sin. And what happens is, when we refuse to listen to God, we practice it, and we get so good at it, it just happens. Those who play sports, I know uh, one of our members is a, is a great baseball player or a great shooter. You know, when, when people, it's called muscle memory. Y'all know that, right? And there are some things that just happen in a moment you don't have to think about. You've done it so many times that you're good at it. And sometimes... When we practice sin so many times, even though we want to do what's right, it's just a reflex. It's just muscle memory. It's, you're just pulling it. You don't even mean to do it. You, boop, and he just dropped that F-bomb like that. Boom, three, right? Right in the <laughs> 50 feet out. You just dropped it. And he didn't even mean to do it. So this is what, this is what the Bible's saying. When you let your spirit, your natural control your mind, it leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. This is what you're fighting with in your relationship with Jesus. Your, your sinful nature, your default, 
is like this to God. Back up. Back up. Don't touch me. Don't, don't get too close. Don't, don't expose my, my brokenness. You're getting too close to me, God. That's your natural default. God comes to you, and you're like, whoa, whoa, what you want? You're getting too close. And so for our sinful nature, it's always hostile. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. But that's why those who are still under control of their sinful nature can never please God. Ooh, but I got some good news. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. This is Paul, Pastor Paul, trying to speak life and saying, listen to me. Don't let the enemy persuade you that you are under control. If you are listening to the voice of God, if you are giving Jesus a chance, if you are allowing him in your life, I've got good news for you. You're not controlled by the spirit. You're not, sorry, by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong in him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even through your, though your body may die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Oh, can I say it this way? Being right with someone that you love gives you life. I'll talk to the married folks for a second. Nothing more painful, more destructive than not having it right with the one you love. Can we just be honest? That thing messes you up. Now, when you're a man and you're in the house and you're all messed up, nobody cares. That's just how it goes. Nobody cares if dad's upset. Nobody cares if dad's feelings hurt. Life goes on. But if mama's feelings is upset, Am I telling the truth? Let something wrong be wrong with mama. And let something be wrong with mama, and it's your dad's fault. Little boys be ready to fight. They're ready to fight you. <laughs> Tears in their eyes. Stop being mean to mom. That don't happen in my house, by the way. I'm just, I'm just saying. It's happened to me before when I was a kid. I was ready to fight. Grown man. But see, when things aren't right, it bothers you. You can have all the money in the world. You can have everything that your heart desires, but you know in the back of your mind it's not right. It's uneasiness, but there's no greater feeling than being right with someone. It gives you life. And this is what I'm trying to tell you, that judgment is about being right with God. You don't have to wait until the end. You don't have to put all your hope in some test that you think you got to pass, that God's going to look back at your life and hopefully there's good things there that you did. It doesn't have to be like that. God's judgment really begins with you every single day because as long as you are in relationship with God and you trust him and you're right with him, guess what? You have nothing to worry about. Because God wants to be with you. <laughs> He's the one who has broken all the barriers and made the steps to provide access to him. That was what he did. And all we have to do is walk in faith. Let me take it to this other verse. Let me take it to Timothy, First uh, Timothy chapter 2. I just got one more text I want to show you. And I hope this really touches your heart. Look here at First at, um, Timothy chapter 2. 
I'm just going to read at verse 5. Go to verse 5. It says, for there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the right message God gave to the world just at the right time. Can I give you some good news? That Jesus is, there's only one God, the Bible says, and one meteor. There's one person that makes it right. There's only one person that can reconcile. Look at this. God and humanity. What do we say about humanity? Humanity's natural default is hostility towards God. And God knows that the brokenness and the sinfulness of humanity has created a barrier that he cannot fully engage with us. But the solution to bridge that relationship is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the only mediator that can reconcile between. Why is that? Because as God, he understands God. As man, he understands us. God is different than us, and we are different than God. But Jesus is the only one who has both. I don't get it. I'm just saying. That's what the Bible says. I, I really wish one day I could really comprehend the depth of this. All I know is I believe that Jesus is the mediator between the both. He's the great reconciler. He makes it right. And as long as we're in the right relationship with him, he will work on our behalf. He will teach us and guide us so that we'll be right with him. Let me say it this way. Jesus made it possible for us to be in a loving relationship with God and with each other. If we, if, <laughs> if God and us can't get along, how do you think us and us can get along? Somebody said mercy. That's, that's why you invite God into your relationships. Because there's just something about a godly type of love that makes it work. Jesus makes, makes it possible for us to be in a loving relationship with God and with each other. Let me take you to one more text. And I want to close this out. John chapter 1. Excuse me, John, 1 John uh, chapter 4. Here's what the Bible says. Verse 15 through 19. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. I want you to see how important that is. It's not just simply something that you say. It's something that you believe. That's why we've been singing that song over and over again, that we believe. Not just saying Christ is Lord, but believing and giving him permission to be Lord. For we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. The Bible says God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love 
grows more perfect. So listen, here's what's key here. Verse 17, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But the Bible says, and we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Let me, let me just read that part one more time. I, I just really want you to soak this in. As we live in God. Are you living in God? Have you given God the opportunity to, to have access and permission in your life? Have you said, you know what? Let's try this your way. Because that's what a good relationship does, right? I always tease about this all the time. When I first met my wife, I didn't eat guacamole. Like, I, I didn't even know what that was. I'm, I'm just telling you. I'm from the hood. I don't, I'd never ate Mexican food. I didn't know nothing about that. My, my family, her family's from Southern California. They knew all about that. I didn't know nothing about avocados, guacamole. Y'all looking at me crazy. I'm telling you, I didn't know nothing about it. And they would serve this guacamole, and I'd be just grinning and just trying to swallow it down because I didn't like it. I know what it was. It was green. What ice cream. And I ate it. We kept going back to the Mexican restaurant. I didn't understand. We kept going back over and over again, birthdays, anniversaries, back to the Mexican restaurant. And there it was, guacamole. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to give this guacamole one more chance. And guess what happened, y'all? I started speaking in Spanish. No, I didn't. I didn't do that. <laughs> I wish I did. But I started to love the things that she loved. I started to naturally gravitate towards things that she loved. And I started to understand her and understand my family. And I started to figure out how to please them. But I didn't do it so that I could be her husband. I did it because I was her husband. I didn't do it for her to love me. I did it because she loved me. And I had to realize that this woman made a commitment to love me, but most importantly, I made a commitment to love her. And what the Bible is saying is that you can face judgment and not be afraid of it if you allow the relationship with Jesus to happen. Just say, I normally would do this. I normally would bust this dude right upside his head. I park this car right now and I punch him right in his face. But I'm not going to do that, Jesus. What would you do? Like, what would Jesus do? It's not a bracelet. That's real. That's real life. And God is saying, just, just ask me. Just say, what, what, God, what would you do in this? And that's, that's what devotion is. That's what getting up in the morning is and saying, God, I just want to spend just let me start with five minutes with you. Let me just stay here and let me just ask you, what should I do? Because the reality is if you keep on doing it, you're going to mess it up. Just be honest, you've messed it up already. Some of you ain't here in church because you messed it up. God is saying you don't have to live that way. You can have confidence Verse 17. So we're not afraid. We can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus in the world. Not like Jesus in the church. That's easy. 
We can all show up and lift hands and do all that. That's, that's, that's church stuff. Listen, we're talking about the power to walk into your home with a husband that doesn't love Jesus and live like Jesus in that world. We're talking about going to the world where nobody in your job loves Jesus and you live in that world. We're talking about the place that you go and you don't have great relationships with police and you can live in that world. And you can live in every single world that God places you in and actually live like Jesus. I think I got two more verses on here. Such love has no fear because perfect love casts or expels all fear. If we are afraid, listen to this, if you're afraid of God, that's what the Bible says, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Listen, I want you to understand something, that some of you, I'm not judging you. I'm not being judgmental in you. I'm just telling you, some of you have not felt the love of God. You have not conceptualized and understand the love of God and what he has for you. And the Bible says, when you fully experience and accept it, guess what? You don't have any fear. God doesn't scare you. Death doesn't scare you. Cancer doesn't scare you. Firing doesn't scare you. Lack of resources doesn't scare you. Divorce doesn't scare you. Because you understand that I'm living with purpose. I'm living with the kingdom in mind. I may not have everything on this earth. I might be broke here. I might be ugly and short, whatever my lot is. But I've got an inheritance waiting for me that was created at the foundation of the world. And if I just hold on, if I just be faithful, if I just keep living for him, I'm not getting a reward because of what I do. I get a reward because of who I am. There's a man in town who knows a lot about me. He uh, touches me in places that no other man touches me. In fact, when I see him, I usually very shortly get undressed. I got your attention, huh? This is fun. Everybody's like. I used to feel uncomfortable when I first met him. Because, like I said, he would touch me in places I wasn't comfortable with, and I'd have to get undressed around him. And he's not a doctor. He's my tailor. Y'all can just relax. He's my tailor, okay? Y'all know what a tailor is, right? Okay, everybody just <laughs> I set it up good, though. It was a good setup. Drum, he stopped playing the drums. He stopped playing the bass. Like, what is he getting ready to confess? So when I first met uh, my tailor in West Richland, it made me uncomfortable because, you know, I had this suit and I had to get ready for this thing. And the suit didn't look right. I, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but I can't really wear something right off the rack. I have kind of exceptional body. You know, it's a little difficult to just buy things. I, no, that's not true. But I had to come into this place. And, you know, he first thing he did, he said, all right, put, put the suit on, right? And he was like, okay. He said, how do you want to look? I said, well, you know, just make me look good, modern, you know, you, you hook it up. So, you know, he drops down. He's all like this, like on my legs, right? You're like, all right, spread spread your legs like this. All right, he's all looking like this, you know, okay. All right, we're going to have to tighten this up in here. You know, and I'm like, what is going on? 
But, you know, he's just making sure. He's, he's tailoring. Look at my legs, okay? He's, and then he's like, okay. Then he starts sticking everything with pins, right? I got these pins. He's like, okay, go, on, go in there and, and take them off. And I'm like, okay, I'll be right back. You know, there's pins all in my, some of you guys ever had this done. So the tailor's like hooking everything up. And I'm nervous because I don't know how it's going to look, right? I'm like, man, I don't know if that really looks right on me. He's like, just trust me. So then he says, give me the suit. He takes it. All right. And he says, all right, come back. He calls me. And then I put the suit on, right? And it just feels like it fits like a glove. Like, I just feel like a million bucks, right? And I just walk out of, out of the dressing room just like, you know, feeling feeling great. I think, in fact, I just wore it home. I didn't even put it back in the bag. I just wore the suit home. I'm just driving around. Yep, that's right. It's my suit. It's looking good. I'm a handsome black man. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you. But now when I go, when I got to get something tailored, I'm not uncomfortable. I walk in. I'm like, hey, do what you got to do. It's like, turn around, get undressed, do this. He hooks it up, and I'm comfortable with it. This is what I'm trying to tell you. There are some things that God wants to do in your life, and there's some places in your life that are too loose. Got no boundaries. Can I have $300? Yeah, here you go. Pastor, can you help me? I'm broke. No, stop. tell that person that you just gave $300. Ask that person for some money because you're just too loose with it. Some of us are too tight. Up in the graduation, like this. Can't say I'm proud of you. Can't say I love you. Just looking there. I love you. Oh, my gosh. It's so hard to say. Too tight. Too loose. And God's like, look, I want to do some things to make you uncomfortable. I'm going to be all up in your business. You are not a size 10. You're a size 19. Your clothes are too tight. But we serve a God that loves us so much that salvation is not a factory. It's a one-on-one, case-by-case. Our salvation is tailored to us. All y'all listen to what I'm saying. He knows what you've gone through. He knows what you struggle with. He knows your history. He knows your past. All he says is just trust me. Just trust me. Trust me now. You got nothing to worry about. So God is inviting you into a relationship today. Some of you just need to make up your mind to say, God, I'm going to give you a chance today. I don't know what it looks like. I can't profess to be super religious. I can't profess to have everything right. That's okay. Just start where you are. Jesus is saying, just trust me and let me walk with you. I want to invite those in the building to just close your eyes and bow your heads. There's somebody here today. won't take long. Somebody here today that just needs to get invited to give God a chance. All I want to do is on behalf of heaven, invite you on behalf of Jesus, to give him a chance today. It's very simple. It just starts with every moment and every time listening to his voice and allowing him to make the connection because he wants to be with you forever and ever and ever and ever. All you need to do is just decide today to give him a chance. If that's you today, if you're just saying to yourself, you know what, God, I don't know what this looks like, I know I've messed things up before in the past. I just want to give you a chance. Maybe this is your fifth chance. Maybe this is your 50th chance. Maybe you've messed up over and over again. 
But God doesn't care. He just wants to get start where you are. If that's you today, I want you to be bold. I want you to be brave. Everybody's eyes are closed. I just want you to slip up your hand. God sees you. Amen. Don't be afraid. Just slip up your hand. That's you. Go ahead. Put it right back down. God bless you. I just want to lead you in a prayer today. I want you to leave today with hope and encouragement. And church, for those who didn't raise your hand, I just want you to help me and help them by repeating after me. Let's all repeat after me and help those, encourage those who are praying this prayer, maybe for the first time. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe today with all my heart that you love me. Let me experience your love. I surrender my heart to you. I allow you today to lead me and to teach me. Thank you for the inheritance that you have promised me. And I will live this life believing that one day soon I'll see your face. Give me the courage, give me the strength to live for you. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Come on, church, let's celebrate. Someone made the best decision they've ever made. Someone is walking in the midst of life.